It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. It's time once again to make the dough rise. I'm Walter Storholt here alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Livingworth Wealth Advisors with an office in Greensboro, Georgia. And it's time to learn a little bit more about the financial world, retirement planning, financial uh, information coming your way today. And we've got some good things to discuss before we dive into all of it. Brian, welcome to the show once again. Good to talk to you, my friend. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks, Walter. I understand you were uh, celebrating multiple birthdays recently. Yeah, I was going to say, I think maybe I should have had one more cup of coffee this morning because we had a late night uh, last <laughs> night. We went, my, my wife and my youngest daughter share a birthday. And so we were up in Athens and went out for a nice dinner and celebrating and all that kind of stuff. But uh, had a little bit of drive time, get, getting back and forth. And we, we had a fa- fairly late night last night. Have they felt cheated by sharing a birthday over the years? Or uh, is it like a more of a special bond kind of thing? A little bit of both, but I'm going to speak for Laura. She she may not explicitly say this, but I think she was very excited about the idea of having a shared birthday. And on your third one, I think uh, as long as the due date's relatively close, I think you can kind of negotiate the Pitocin drip and accelerate things if you want to. So that, that's kind of how that came to be because she thought it would be neat to have a shared birthday. And uh, yeah, I think she gets, I, I would say Laura probably feels a little bit left out because it's definitely about Natalie now. Yeah, that makes sense. But uh, I would actually prefer that because I'm not a big birthday guy. So I'd be totally fine if I could like overshadow mine with uh, with the kid's birthday and just, me, me too, just yeah. ste- step into the background and be like, great, let's just celebrate them, not not me. <laughs> yeah, once I crossed 50, I was like, all right, I'm done with those. I don't right, those yeah, anymore. we don't want any more birthdays. <laughs> we're fine. We're fine with where they are. Oh man! So, but you got some good driving time in, and some uh, some listening done. I understand. Yeah, yeah. So I've been listening to a, a new audio book, and one thing with the the pandemic and being w- without doing all the traveling, I've I've not been getting all my audio books listened to. And so, with the back and forth that we've been doing uh, lately, I've had a chance to catch up on a book called uh, "The Return of Marco Polo's World," and the author is uh, Robert D. Kaplan. And it's a really, really interesting look into uh, basically China attempting to rebuild or recreate the uh, trade infrastructure of the old Silk Road. So really connecting Europe, you know, Eurasia and and uh, the Far East into one giant uh, interconnected trade block. They're doing that with ports, roads incentive agreements that they're trying to get all these different countries to to collaborate and and cooperate is really really interesting to to listen to and hear what China has planned and you know, what you're really seeing is the end of Europe as we knew it as you know it really ever since the cold uh, end of the uh, World War II and we're we're going to see the rise of what he calls Eurasia where in the past that was such a big you know, massive area that you couldn't really think about it in in terms of one place, but uh, that that could shift dramatically going forward. And so it'll it'll be interesting to see if China actually becomes or positions themselves to become uh, the world superpower. And the way they've been going for the last you know twenty, thirty, forty years, it's entirely possible that they can um, th- they have the long term vision to to make that happen. But 
on the flip side, you, you know, back back in the, uh, was I think it was during the 70s, they, they started their one-child policy. So they, they actually have the same demographic problem that Japan had and that we are now having, and Europe definitely has, where you know this this rise of the the, the kind of the working and, and productive age cohort as they age, if there's not a, a po- population boom coming behind them, uh, they they could very much end up like Japan. You know, certainly very relevant and very uh, powerful and all that, but but maybe not the the superpower that everybody thought Japan might be back in the 80s and 90s. Very interesting, and I think um, a neat addition to the show to maybe get a book recommendation every once in a while here, because I know you try to be a, a prolific reader when you can, Brian, and uh, the opportunity presented itself here, and you found a good one, it sounds like. so. It's a good one, and it, it's interesting, because when I used to recruit international students uh, for a couple of universities, I, I traveled pretty extensively to you know South Asia, Southeast Asia. A little bit to China. I did part of my MBA in Hong Kong, so it's it's really interesting to see all of the different groups and you know special interests and geography that that has. They say that technology has defeated geography, and uh, Kaplan's point is that it hasn't really defeated geography. Geography is still very important. It's actually amplified it and and created more both opportunities. And I don't want to get too far into this, but it's actually created more tension as well. So, so things that are happening all along this, uh, you know, trade route, if you will, will reverberate across uh, the entire region. So, anyway, interesting. Check it out if you have an interest in that kind of thing. Uh, I think it's going to be very, very relevant in the coming, you know, decades. Very cool. Again, the name of it is the Return of Marco Polo's World, and uh, go check it out. Let Brian know what you think of that book. Well, on today's show, we are talking about keeping the cash flowing, and uh, a lot of people maybe have had the stimulus checks start to hit their bank accounts over the past week or so. Brian, the $2 trillion stimulus bill uh, passed and is being implemented now. Checks have been in the mail and deposited, and uh, the, the wheels are in motion now. There's no stopping it. Yeah, and so I just I did a little bit of math for us here, Walter, and so there. this is the coronavirus uh, relief bill, right? So... $2 trillion divided by 330 million people uh, in the United States comes out roughly to about $6,000 per person. So, man, I, I got five in my household. I am so looking forward to my $30,000 check. I can't stand it. Mm, the math doesn't work out there, Brian. Oh, wait, wait, that's not happening? Th- these aren't the amounts being deposited. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, somehow I think I'm going to get a zero and a, a, a handful or a good number of people are going to get uh, $1,400. But my point of the math there is that the reality is about 90% of that $2 trillion bailout is going to bail out a lot of bad behavior. And what I mean by that is... There are a number of states, and, and this, this was actually a, a legitimate concern, was there, there are a number of states with very rich pension plans that were grossly underfunded. So, so much like uh, a lot of the corporate pensions that were underfunded, a lot of states had underfunded pensions. So they're going to throw hundreds of billions of dollars at uh, propping up these, these underfunded uh, pension plans, which, you know, I, I suppose that needs to happen, but I hate that they're using the cover of this coronavirus crisis to to do it. They they won't just come out and say that they're going to uh, fix these pension plans. 
And they needed to be fixed because if they fail, uh, then that all falls on the federal government anyway through the PBGC, the Pension uh, Benefit Guarantee uh, Board. So, um, you know, that and then a lot of the aid to states is going to those that have actually had some of the poorest responses to the coronavirus. So I think at the end of the day, we're really continuing to weaken our, so, so in conjunction with my, you know, my point about China, we're continuing to weaken ourselves with massive amounts of debt. And uh, we're letting some, some very poor fiscal management at the state levels go, you know, unchecked or, or even rewarded, because uh, yeah, that, that's, that's where a lot of this money is actually going to. So. And it seems like there's just a big debate going on between, and it's not just this stimulus payment where this issue, I mean, really, we could break down any political or philosophical debate along you know, this line, but an argument over what strengthens us versus what weakens us. And so some will look at these stimulus payments, even with the disparity between what actually goes into our pockets versus you know, what gets spent on other items and other things. But they'll view this as a, a movement of strength and something to be celebrated, whereas others, uh, you know, and it's not unusual in today's world, see it the absolute complete opposite direction. Yeah, I think polling-wise, I think this the stimulus is actually being well-received because, you know, I mean, a large number of people are getting checks. And so at the end of the day, if you're getting, you know, $1,400 or $1,400 per person, uh, I can see why you would be favorable to that. But it's then very easy to if if you don't scratch beneath the surface and look and and realize well there there's there's still like you know a 1.8 trillion dollars that's that's getting uh that's going other places and getting stacked onto our our national debt which this is very much in line with the modern monetary theory uh philosophy or or um, I guess you'd call it a theory and it's the idea that a government with a fiat currency like the United States can print as much money as they need to because you, I mean we we do realize that this two trillion dollars that they just made it out of thin air. This is not money that's actually just sitting there ready to go out. They, they've had to create the money. So what this really does is it, it it weakens us in that we've got more debt. We have the uh, likelihood that if interest rates rise, the debt service goes up dramatically, and. Um, you know, if if we're in a weaker position overall and and have to you know fund things from from thin air, the rest of the world is adopting this idea of cheap money, uh, unlimited stimulus will just stimulate and bail out every problem that comes along. I really believe at some point that ends, and so uh, I don't want to get off too far onto a modern monetary theory jag here, but. I will say I do have uh, two guests coming up on a future episode where we're going to take sort of a a point counterpoint uh, discussion. I've got uh, one advisor within Main Street that's maybe a proponent of or or fairly well studied on on the ideas of modern monetary theory. And then I've got uh, somebody that's on the opposite end of the the spectrum and I'll I'll sort of moderate a discussion. I think that people will find that uh, relatively interesting because we we talked about it at length the other day, but I'll get off the soapbox for uh, debt, politics, and, and what's happening there and transition to what the real problem for retirees now is. Even with, with all this you know, cheap money out there, we 
don't have a good option for income producing assets like we did in the past. You know, it, interest rates are, are low you know, because the, the way they stimulate the economy is injecting money or lowering interest rates. And so if you're on the saving end of the spectrum, you're trying to find a yield on your CDs and your cash, or you want to buy some bonds and all those, those traditional things, but there's just no reward to be had for having those kinds of, of assets. And, uh, you know, on the flip side, if you're a borrower, if you've got mortgages and debt, I mean, it's, it's super cheap to, to borrow. And that's part of what's encouraging the government to say, oh, we'll just issue 30-year treasury bonds at, you know, one and a half, two percent. And then that's, that's relatively cheap money. So uh, we, we can keep it coming. But if you're trying to find a three, four, five, six, seven, eight percent uh, type of yield or return, well, back in the good old days, you could go buy some investment grade rated corporate bonds. Uh, you could buy some energy stocks and you know some utilities, maybe some consumer staples, and, and you'd have a very nice diversified portfolio, relatively low risk that would provide the retirement income that, that you needed. Well, if we look at it today, the 10-year treasury yield is at 1.6, I think, today. And it was, you know, it was below that. It actually got below a, a percent last year. And so when interest rates do go up, all right, if all the stimulus starts to create inflation, you're going to lose purchasing power, right? That's, that's one problem. And then as those rates go back up, those bonds that you bought in today's interest rate environment, the, the prices will go down. And, and we're already seeing this on the long end of the, the, the corporate bond uh, index. When rates rose uh, just a little bit, bond prices dropped about 13% uh, just in the last uh, a few weeks as, as, as rates have begun to rise. And so um, Leon Cooperman, he's a New York billionaire, uh, maybe he's migrated to Florida now, uh, hedge fund manager. He's, he, I think he's coined the term for bonds as return-free risk. So you're, you're taking all the risk of potential interest rate hikes and that pushing your bond prices down. Uh, you've got inflation and purchasing power risk by, by taking these, these low returns. So you're taking really a tremendous amount of risk in what we have historically thought of as a very safe asset. When you put together the idea that uh, corporate bonds, government bonds, mortgage-backed bonds may not be a great place to put large portions of your uh, investments today. Energy stocks, well, government policy is really pushing clean energy and alternative. Uh, we're seeing a big, big move to electric, uh, battery, um, you know, type, and solar, wind. All, all of those things are, are being pushed as a, at a policy level. So that's made energy stocks maybe a questionable avenue. They've been in about a five-year downtrend where if you had invested in uh, your, your big energy stocks, the dividends that you received were totally negated by a drop in price. So, so again, if you're looking at the assets that you buy for income going down more in price than you receive in income, that, that's, that's not a winning formula for success in retirement. It's uh, It used to be, I guess, nice to be able to bank on some of the staples that are out there. But I find, and you, you brought this up with the energy stocks in particular, to be difficult to try to predict with so much push behind 
you know, green energy and the move away from oil needs and with some of the auto manufacturers talking about how they're shifting their priorities. Yet the timeline for a lot of these things is what, you know, by by 2035, that's still a pretty long ways off. So then how, you know, how is oil going to respond to yet still having demand in some, you know, most of the world, even by 2035, um, yet at the same time, all the talk and all the pressure is going to be to move in a different direction. That seems like an incredibly difficult environment to try and call that a staple anymore, something that you can really count on, let alone all of the uh, other issues that you're bringing up. Yeah, and, and we've talked about how in the past, a certain technological innovation, I think we talked about the automobile from you know, like the early 1900s, there was about a 15-year transition period where it went from very few automobiles to all, you know, like 90% automobiles. And then the horse and buggy just dropped off the face of the streets. And 15 years seems like a long time, but uh, if you roll the clock back 10, 15 years and technology potentially accelerating these changes, uh, it it may happen a lot faster than, than we anticipate. So ironically, you know, I don't know how much of it has to do with shutting down the Keystone pipeline projects and banning fracking on on federal lands if you if you look at the the policies against energy we've actually seen oil and and uh, energy prices shoot up dramatically have have you filled up at the the, the gas station here lately yeah um i i feel like it's definitely costing a lot more to yeah. pay and, and i mean on on not just 10 cents or so but i mean a dramatic difference yeah, no, no. It's just, it's probably up twenty twenty five to you know thirty five percent at in some places I've seen. So ironically, the the government policy is is actually causing a boom for the all of these energy stocks that have been in a a rut for five years. And energy is one of the best performing sectors uh, so far this year. Now that said, it, is that still really where you want to try and bet and and bank on on getting you know predictable retirement income if you're going to have a 10, 15, 20 year retirement, it's a temporary solution at best. So any, um, you know, wh- where else can we look? Where else can we go if we're having some problems with all of these things that we used to rely on? Um, wh- what are some other, not to get into alternative investments, but just what are some other directions we can look in? Yeah, well, so as I've been doing portfolio reviews lately, particularly with new people that are, are coming on board that have retired and they're, they've got their investments that have done well. And what we have seen is all of the action has been overwhelming, not all of the action, but overwhelmingly, uh, the, the majority of the action has been in growth stocks and technology specifically. So I'm seeing people come in with portfolios where they bought Apple and Google and Amazon and Netflix and all of those names. And maybe they bought a small position in them years ago, and now they've grown to an outsized portion of the portfolio. So you have to find a way to uh, be able to invest in and embrace future-oriented strategies and things that are going to work and and add capital appreciation to your portfolio. And so I'm going to use a fancy word here. I don't even like this word, but I, I hear it a lot. You have to have a bifurcated portfolio. And, and that this is just a fancy way of saying you have to have two, two buckets or two strategies. And if you allocate your money based on risk levels, okay, we've talked about rules of thumb and how, many, how much you should have in bonds and asset allocation. And, and I, I think what we're talking about here today is a lot of that's going out the window. And so what I'm doing for people is to simplify things down to its most basic. 
if you put your money into two categories. One is going to be your safe bucket. That's the uh, conservative, ultra conservative. You know, this may be cash and maybe you get some of those very low yielding CDs, but but get things that are going to hold and, and preserve their value that you can, in a down market, rely on for your retirement income expenses and needs. Then in the alternate bucket, you can look at what are going to be the uh, growth opportunities and or you know high quality dividend stocks and, and you, you're going to have to accept the fact that there are lower yields in the types of investments that you need to make for the future. But if you can find things that have a good history of dividend growth, um, we've seen Apple certainly come out and say, "Hey, we're we're going to commit to increasing dividends." So maybe you have to look at these growth stocks through a different lens. Maybe they're becoming you know, more value-like stocks, but but they're still very profitable companies. They have tremendous amounts of cash and the ability to 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 pay these dividends. So then what you do is any year that you have a, a down year or a, a bad year of the market, you go and you pull money from that safe bucket and, and let that give you the buffer that you need so that you can take a longer-term time horizon with the, the riskier or, or more growth-oriented bucket. Then when you have good years in the market, you use that as a sell discipline so that you can take money out of the, you know, the riskier or the growth bucket. And, and by balancing those two buckets out, you now have a very simple, understandable way of looking at your money that says, I've got five years, maybe 10 years that I can you know, comfortably tally up all of my income sources, where social security, pensions, uh, maybe you've got annuities or rental income, if you've got properties, things like that. Having a really good handle on your budget, you know what your base uh, expenditures are to, to maintain your lifestyle. Maybe have a little bit there for an emergency fund. And then uh, when when the market does well, it gives you a sell discipline for that riskier growth-oriented bucket. And, and just by, by tracking it that way, uh, I think you can focus on a base of income that recurs, focus on quality, uh, dividend growing type investments, and actually have a, a part of your portfolio allocated for long-term growth. Lots of different things that we can still consider. I guess that's the big, uh, the positive takeaway from that, right? I mean, even though there are these problems and issues and things that have changed and maybe gotten more difficult to evaluate, um, part of your job, Brian, is to help us always continue to problem solve and I guess look in new directions that we can explore. Yeah, and and maybe look at the not so obvious names. I've I've invested in some screening software that can help me go through and and maybe you find some small or mid cap sized companies that are in that value space that that do pay dividends uh, and not not just you know purely focus on that S and P five hundred or the you know the the top thirty Dow stocks and think that that those are the only opportunities out there. A lot of good companies out there uh, across the the country that aren't necessarily household names that might make make fine investments as well. What about internationally, Brian? Because we obviously have the stimulus package here in the US. We're dealing with our own problems, but we know COVID was a national or excuse me, global issue. Every country's had a little bit different reaction to it as we've seen different vaccine rollouts, different lockdown rules, also different, I'm guessing, economic reactions to all of this? Well, Europe has this ties in you know very much to what I was talking about with with China earlier. Uh, Europe has really been in a, a a bit of a sideways 
trend for you know five to eight you know really since the financial crisis it, it's had its up and ups and downs but they've had a lot of issues with the the debt crisis they lack a tech sector they had the migrant issue we had russian sanctions they had brexit and and so it's been a tough go for uh for, for a lot of those financial and, and household uh, consumer staple type names in in the european area but th- there's some good values there and, and potentially some some good dividends and uh you know just seeing how they you know potentially integrate with with, with these other global trends that are happening i, I think international definitely becomes uh, attractive again for 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 some of those quality names and uh and and dividends so yeah you you, you don't want to rule that out either so as always, what's what's to be done? What are some of the uh, takeaways and next steps that we should think about implementing or the ways that we can kind of counteract some of these issues and problems? Well, one thing that I have found is that people uh, are assured, reassured, or more confident when they have reliable cash flow. Okay, When you're working and you've got a paycheck coming in every couple of weeks, you don't worry too much about I mean, you want to keep a little cushion in your your checking account, but you're not as worried about how much your 401k balance is because you know there's a little more money coming into the the checking account every every two weeks on a on a fairly regular basis, and you can budget and navigate around that. So I, I have created a tool I call the Paycheck Replicator, and we just sit down and map this out. So we, a lot of people get their pensions and their social security at the beginning of the month. And so then what I'll do is set up a, a corresponding transfer two weeks later, the middle of the month, or, or maybe vice versa, if you're getting your social security and your pension in the middle of the month, you know, we'll, we'll do the beginning of the month. But try to structure things like the paycheck you had when you were working, get that cash flow to, to continue in retirement. And if you build that two-bucket strategy like I talked about, I can tell you exactly where that money is going to come from. And we can do the math on how many years you want to build in a buffer there. And we can get to a point where you can go, you know, like five, eight, 10 years and, and not have to worry too much about day to day, what's happening with the market. You know, what do we have a correction? Is the coronavirus come and gone? Or we're going to have another recession, whatever those issues are. And I've seen this really translate into increased confidence, reduced worry, and, and an assurance that, yeah, you can keep spending. You can you, you can take those trips. We 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 funded the fund fund, and and we've we've done the things that uh, need to be done so that you can you know ma- maintain your retirement lifestyle. So, the the paycheck replicator is just a, a a name I gave to the strategy for creating a reliable cash flow like you had when you had a paycheck into retirement. I want to tell folks how they can get in touch with you, Brian, and even schedule a 15-minute introductory call with you so that they can talk to you about getting that paycheck replicator in place and maybe go through that exercise with you. What's talked about during that 15-minute call? Can we give people some expectations of what to be aware of for if they want to get in touch with you, just how it'll play out? Yeah, I think if if, if people are interested or concerned, you know, d- does this apply to me? How can I use this? You know, who's Brian Doe? What's this all about? A fifteen minute introductory call is a great way to just you know d- do a quick assessment. Uh, or you can I can give you the inventory items that you uh, should consider or, or compile to actually run the calculation. But but if you if if you wanted to just look at it as most basic, like I said, it's it's all your income sources. What are your reliable income sources uh, that are not part of your portfolio? 
then what reliable income sources do we need to build into the portfolio? What cash reserves? And, and then model that out to see how long you're on track to have your money last, what adjustments might be need to be made to, to, to make that happen. And it's, it's very enlightening. So, uh, yeah, start with a, a 15 minute call. We can talk about it and see if it, um, if it would be applicable to you. And if you want to uh, pursue it on a more in-depth structured uh, planning basis, then uh, that would be the next step. You can book that 15-minute introductory call with Brian. Uh, just check the show notes of today's program uh, where you can find the link to book a time on Brian's calendar, or you can go to livingworth.com and click book a call. You can also do it that way. Livingworth.com, click book a call, or just check the show notes section, and you'll see a link to schedule that time to meet with Brian for your own 15-minute introductory call where you can learn a little bit more about the Paycheck Replicator and talk about your financial and retirement plan. And uh, Brian's happy to set aside that time to chat with you about it. Brian, this was a good show. Interesting to kind of look at some of the effects and impacts of the $2 trillion stimulus uh, bill and the much less than $2 trillion stimulus payments to individuals. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Um, If only we were getting $6,000 per person, I think we'd have a lot of people pretty Pretty happy about that. <laughs> oh, I could do some stimulating if I had that. That's right. That's right. Uh, I think we'd all feel a little bit better about maybe the implementation of some of those funds, but alas, not how it got passed and done. Uh, but thank you very much for the insight and the guidance, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you again on a future episode. And we've got some good guests coming up on some uh, future episodes here of Make the Dough Rise, so everybody be sure to come back and check out the show in future episodes. Lots of good things to be talking about. Yep. We'll, uh, we'll be talking about taxes in the future, too, with the... Uh the the new administration. So plenty to talk about. Brian, we're always talking about taxes, my friend. So. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> always, if it's if it's not the main topic, it's always an underlying topic, right? Indeed, always important indeed. to keep in mind. Uh, well, very good. For Brian Doe, I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for taking the time out to join us, and we will talk to you next time right back here on Make the Doe Rise. Thanks, Walter. Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website. Or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.